0: This recording is brought to you by Whitworth University. To hear additional programs, please visit www.whitworth.edu backslash podcast. Uh, First of all, let me welcome all of you tonight. Uh, This is being sponsored by the political science department. We believe in the Constitution. Uh, So welcome, all right. Um, Julia's talk tonight is about difference, differences. And some of us are different in ways that are obvious, and for which we have been socially stigmatized, and we've been discriminated against. Some of us are different in ways that are not obvious. And unless we choose to tell you our story, you may not know how we are different. Those of us who are different know how life-giving it is to have someone speak up who doesn't share our difference. Someone who speaks up publicly, not just behind closed doors. Someone who writes publicly, Someone who, those of us who sit in classes, who are students, those of us who are faculty or staff, and sit in meetings, and we wait for someone to speak up who is not like us. That is life-giving. That is what Julia has done. So it's my pleasure for Julia to come up here tonight.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Um, I'm always so grateful when she does the introduction for me. And I'm so thrilled to see so many people here eager to celebrate the Constitution. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. Some of you because of class, but mostly because it's the Constitution, right? So we are required by law to celebrate the Constitution on this day. Um, I won't make too big a point of it but I do want to say it's actually against the constitution for the federal government to require universities to celebrate the constitution but that is neither here nor there right it just it just okay so Tonight, I'm going to talk to you about a case that is currently before the Supreme Court. It is going to be argued this fall, and it's going to be decided and handed down in the spring, and it's a case that highlights the tension between the uh, civil rights of the LGBT community who want to be treated fairly and uh, without discrimination and the religious freedom rights of conservative Christians who want to be free to live out their faith in the way that they feel called to do so. Before I get into the case, I'm going to throw out a hypothetical, and I want you to think about it for a moment because it's going to help you understand this issue and help you understand your own thinking about the issue, all right? So imagine that in your hometown there is a baker, and he has a bakery, and he's very good at baking cakes, and he's known for these designed cakes that he does. And one day into the store comes this guy who's covered in tattoos. He's covered in swastika tattoos. And he says to the baker, I would like you to make me a cake. It's the Nazi anniversary. And I want the cake to say HH and uh, we will not be replaced. And I want swastikas on the cake. And the baker looks at him and he says, I'm a Christian. I will not make that cake. And the guy goes away. Right? Story number one. Story number two, the next day, Two guys come in, they come in with one of their mothers. They have a big book where they've clearly put a lot of wedding material into it. They're very excited about this wedding. It's a gay couple, they're going to get married. And they say to the baker, We're so excited about the cakes that you make. And as soon as they get that out, the baker says, No, I'm a Christian. I don't believe in same sex marriage. I won't do that cake. All right? So, are these two scenarios the same story with the same issues? Or are they two different kinds of stories with two different kinds of issues? So I want you to talk to your neighbor for one minute about what you think. Same issues or different issues? Okay, okay. Now, I'm not going to tell you the answer right now about how the law treats them, but that's where we're going to go in the midst of this talk, right? So let me tell you about the case. There is a case out of Colorado, and it is the baker with the two guys who want to get married, gay couple, and they went to the guy, the baker, and they said, we want you to make us a cake, and he said, I'm a Christian, I can't make that cake. They were very upset, and uh, they went away, and they thought about it, and eventually what happens is this big lawsuit that has made its way up to the Supreme Court. Now, this is not a lawsuit between the gay couple and the owner of the bakery. Instead, it is a lawsuit between the state of Colorado and the owner of the bakery, because the state of Colorado has a state statute that says if you have public accommodations, meaning if you have a store or a theater or a restaurant, if you engage in public accommodations, you must do so without discriminating against the people who come into your store on the basis of gender, sexual identity, race, and a number of other things. There is another case that comes out of our state, the state of Washington, that has also gone up to the Supreme Court, and many of us think that the judges are going to uh, combine the two cases. So I want to talk about both of them. This case, there is a flower shop in the Tri-Cities, and the owner of the flower shop is very happy to sell flowers to whomever, and has sold flowers to a gay couple, in the town. And then one day the gay couple decides that they're going to get married and they go to Baronel Stutzman, who is the owner of the store, and, say, and they say, we're so excited, we're going to get married, we would like you to do our flowers. And she says, no, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian, I don't believe in same-sex marriage, I cannot do the flowers. So this, in our state, we have the exact same kind of statute as the one in Colorado. It is a public accommodation, non-discrimination statute. And we have a case where it is the state of Washington has brought a case against the flower shop and it said, you violated our state statute, so it's gone up to the Supreme Court. All right? So they're both before the court. Now, you might be thinking, this is a, these are cases that are really about hate. And I, like, there's all this hate against the LGBT community, and this is just an example of it. Okay? Or... There's all this hate against the religious uh, Christian, the conservative Christian, and this is an example of it. And what I want you to do is to try to separate yourself from that perspective, if that's what you're thinking, and dig a little bit deeper. So, look at these pictures. You have a wedding cake, and you have wedding flowers. And this is one of the questions. Is this art? Is this an expression? Or is it simply commercial goods, right? Right? So if you stand in the shoes of the baker and the florist, the baker and the florist are saying, look, we are happy to sell our goods to anyone who comes into our store. But when you talk about a wedding, you're talking about our artistic work. And the government should never pass legislation to manage our artistic messages. Tell us what we may say. Tell us what we may not say. And I'm sure if you ask artists here in this room, do you think that the government should have the freedom to pass a law that limits what you may do with your art, those of you who are artists are going to say, no, absolutely not, right? So that's one perspective. But then when you stand in the shoes of the gay couple, the gay couple will say, look, there are two reasons why that analysis is just subterfuge, right? First of all, you don't know what it's like to go into a store and be told, we can't serve you because of who you are. That is a humiliating experience. And because that happened in this bakery and in the flower shop, we who are gay and in our community, we could go into any kind of store and we might be told, you have to leave. We're not gonna serve you. That is not right in the United States. And secondly, it's subterfuge because if you look at what the flower florist is doing and what the cake person is doing, they are serving everybody except the gay people. They're not using their religion to say, I'm going to serve only people who I think are in a conservative, Christian, biblically inspired marriage. They're serving everyone. They're serving people of all kinds of different backgrounds. They in These cases have come up all across the nation, and one of the photographers uh, who was a conservative Christian photographer who didn't want to do same-sex marriage, had done photographs at a wedding where the people had been married several times and one of them had, uh, had killed his first wife and had spent 20 years in prison and then got out of prison and then married another one and wanted flowers and totally fine. right? They won't serve the gay couple, but totally fine to serve this other couple where a murder had occurred. And Even, they even do dog weddings. Like, you know, some people, so sorry, who love their dogs so much like they put outfits on their dogs. Come on, let's see hands. Like, we know they're out here. (laughs) They put outfits on their dogs, and some of them are like, oh, my dog should marry your dog. Wouldn't that be so cute? We could have a little cake. It would be a little, so florists and cake people are doing dog cakes but they're not willing to serve the gay community. So, say the people in the gay community, this whole argument, it might be art, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's discriminatory and we're the only people that are suffering for it, right? So, we have to now turn to the law. I'm gonna start with the Constitution because it is Constitution Day and we love the Constitution. And then I'm gonna talk about the state laws And then I'm going to tell you what the court has to answer. I'll make a prediction about what the court's going to do. Then I'm going to talk to you about some political uh, compromises that some people are suggesting. And I will finish by talking about the implication of all of this stuff for uh, faith-based nonprofits, universities, Christian universities. All right, so... First Amendment, the bakers and the florists are saying because of the First Amendment, the law that was passed by Colorado and the law that was passed by the state of Washington, those laws are unconstitutional. Congress, meaning government, Congress shall make no law prohibiting the free exercise of religion. Okay, so if you have a law that that limits someone's free exercise of religion, that violates the First Amendment. It's pretty firm, it's pretty clear. Government cannot make a law that prohibits the free exercise of religion. So that's the ground that the cake bakers and the florists are standing on. The states, state of Washington, state of Colorado, are standing on a different ground. They're standing on the 14th Amendment. And the 14th Amendment says, no state shall deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So they're saying gay people, along with people of color, along with people who have physical and mental disabilities, along with veterans, along with a whole bunch of others, they have uh, suffered from discrimination. And so we have to pass some laws to make sure that they are protected. And that's what we're doing with these state public accommodation, non-discrimination laws. So what does that law look like? So you've got the Constitution flying up against The state law. Lots of words up there. I put the Washington state statute here because we're here in Washington, and I just want you to know what our state is doing. But the Washington statute and the Colorado statute and about 12 other states have a statute just like this. It says, the right to be free from discrimination because of race, creed, that's your religion, color, national origin, sex, honorably discharged, veteran military, sexual orientation, or disability is a civil right. The right shall include but not be limited to, it it includes employment. You can't be discriminated against in those areas uh, in terms of your employment. And it includes the right to the full enjoyment of the accommodations, advantages, facilities, or privileges of places of public resort, accommodation, assemblage, or amusement. That means If you have a store, if you have a restaurant, if you have an amusement park, if you have a theater, you have to allow customers to come in and be treated similarly and not treat them differently because of these categories. Sex, military status, sexual orientation, race, and so forth. So now if you look at that and you go back to the hypothetical that we started with a couple of minutes ago, people are protected from being discriminated against on the basis of sexual orientation in a store, a place of public accommodation, because this statute says no discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. The statute does not say no discrimination on the basis of political perspective. So in the hypothetical I gave you, according to the law of Washington and the law of Colorado, other states too, it is fine for the baker to turn away the swastika guy because he does not have coverage under this statute. But it is not okay to turn away people who are gay, even if you're doing it because of your religious perspective, because this statute says no one who owns a store or a theater, place of amusement, no, none of those people, are allowed to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation. So when the state of Colorado brought its charge against the baker and the state of Washington brought its charge against the florists, all of the lower courts agreed that the baker and the florists have violated the state law. Too bad for them. It doesn't matter that they had a religious belief. Non-discrimination is more important than anything else. And so that got elevated in these states, and both of these groups were fined. And that's why they're bringing it up to the Supreme Court, because they want the Supreme Court to say this statute is unconstitutional, because the statute doesn't make an exemption for people who want to act on the basis of their religious belief. So what's going to happen? In order to understand what the court's gonna do, you have to go back 150 years. So I'm gonna talk about three different cases. The first one's 150 years ago, and these cases explain what the court thinks when you have a religious belief that comes up against a law that's been passed by a state that in some way limits the religious belief, okay? So you go back 150 years, and you're, we're in Utah, And George Reynolds is a Mormon, and he has a whole bunch of wives. And there is a federal law that says bigamy is illegal. And George Reynolds has a federal uh, charge brought against him for violating the law against bigamy. Well, he says, yes, I have many wives, but that's okay because it's part of my religion. It is my First Amendment religious freedom. And the law that says I cannot have many wives, that is a violation of the First Amendment, the religious freedom. That law limits my religious belief. So it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, you know, takes it very seriously and then says, no, we understand your argument. Like, we understand your point. But we we are not going to side with you. And that's because, Belief and action are two different things. Under the First Amendment, you can believe whatever you want to, but you are not allowed to act in whatever way you want to. The government has the right to limit the way that you act because belief and action are two separate things. And the judges use this phrase, and it's important to keep this in mind as we continue to talk. The judges say, this is a neutral law that does not target a religion. It's a neutral law that everybody has to obey. And because it's a neutral law that does not target a religion, the law stands, it doesn't matter that Reynolds has these wives because of his religious belief, and Reynolds went to jail, right? So that's the way the Supreme Court approached it 150 years ago. Well, you can imagine religious people were not very happy about that. And over the course of a long time, they tried to get some other cases coming up through the courts and to get to the Supreme Court to try to develop more protection for people of religious backgrounds. And a test starts to be developed in the 1920s. And the very best articulation of the test is in a case called Wisconsin v. Yoder from the mid-1970s. So Wisconsin v. Yoder, this is what happens. There are a group of Amish people that are represented by the Yoders in this case. And they uh, have their children in the public school until the age of 12, up until about eighth grade. The state of of Wisconsin, they live in Wisconsin, the state of Wisconsin says, we have compulsory education until the age of 16. You have to put your kids in school Public school, private school, we don't care. But they have to be in a school until the age of 16. And the Amish said, no, that violates our religion because if we keep our kids in the public school system or even a private school system, they are going to become a culture to the dominant culture. And we want them protected and we want them raised under our own worldview in our own religious belief. And this law that requires them to be in school, past the age of 12, up to the age of 16, that violates our religion. Now, the state of Wisconsin had some sympathy for them. And so the state of Wisconsin brought a charge against them, criminal charge, and charged them $5 and said, all right, let's take this up to the Supreme Court and let's see what the Supreme Court says. So it goes up to the Supreme Court and the state of Wisconsin says, hey, remember the Reynolds case? The Reynolds case said belief and action are two different things. You can believe whatever you want, but you're not allowed to act however you want. And so our statute, it does not target religion. Everybody has to obey it in the same way. And we should win if you look at uh, the Reynolds case. Supreme Court says, you know, we read the Reynolds case. We don't agree. We think that they did not sufficiently protect religion under the First Amendment because Belief and action are not always separate. Belief and action are intertwined. Sometimes belief compels action. And if belief compels action, you have to protect both the belief and the action. On the other hand, said the court, if you're going to protect action, there might come some situations where the religious action is really going to hurt society. And we don't want to protect religious action if it's really going to hurt society. So there are some situations where most of, the time we're go- most of the time we're going to side with religion and protect religion. But there are some situations where we have to say, no, religious people, you do not get to act. For example, Let's say that your religion had, has uh, you killing the young boys on your street because you want to emerge as the matriarch Wicca of the street. So you're going to kill all the boys on the street. Well, the government's going to say, no, can't do that. You're going to go to jail if you try. So this is the Supreme Court. We're going to develop something called the strict scrutiny test. The strict scrutiny test. Is this is going to be our method for deciding when religious belief is gonna be protected and when it isn't. And the strict scrutiny test has two different uh, elements. The first element is the government, the state of Wisconsin has to have, I can hardly keep a straight face while I say this, has to have a really, 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 really important reason to limit religion. Really, 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 really important. It has to be compelling right? So the first leg is it has to be, the government has to have a compelling interest. And the second leg is the government has to achieve its compelling interest by using the least restrictive means possible. There has to be a really good fit between the interest that the government has and the means that the government uses to achieve its interest. So let's apply strict scrutiny in the Wisconsin case. What is the interest of the state of Wisconsin to say everybody has to be in school until the age of 16. Wisconsin said, because we care about citizens. We care about citizens so we want all the kids to be in school until 16 so they become excellent citizens. So the court says, hmm, is that a really, 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 really important reason? Is that really, really important? And they say, yes, of course it is. Citizenship is really, 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 really important. It's compelling that governments care about citizenship. So the first leg of the strict scrutiny test is passed. But the second leg is this, has the government taken the least restrictive means possible to achieve its really, 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 really important interest of having excellent citizens? And this is where the court said, no, no. And all you have to do is look at the Amish kids. Those Amish kids who got out of school at the age of 12 They are excellent citizens. They are fantastic citizens. They were raised to be fantastic citizens by their community. So there's all kinds of ways to have good citizenship, and putting kids in school is one way, but there are other ways too, so there's a bad fit between the really compelling interest of good citizenship and the rule, which is everybody has to be in school until the age of 16. So now the state of the law is strict scrutiny, okay? As you can imagine, not everybody is happy with this. So a number of years later, we get this other case that comes, that's handed down in 1990 and it comes out of the state of Oregon. And the judge who hands it down is Scalia. That's a picture of Scalia. Scalia is the most articulate conservative judge on the court and everybody who is a conservative wants more judges like Scalia. Everybody asked Donald Trump, if you're a conservative, all the conservatives asked Donald Trump, give us more Scalia's, we want more Scalia. So what did Scalia do with this case? It's a case called Smith, comes out of Oregon. Scalia does not like the strict scrutiny test because he says it's just made up by judges. So, yeah, I know, you all, all right, this is my con-law class here, right? They all just wrote that down, made up by judges. <laughs> so, so, Oregon, There's these two guys working, and they're Native Americans, and they work for a drug rehab organization. And uh, they have a religious practice, and their religious practice uh, involves, on the weekend, in a ceremony, a very serious ceremony, ingesting the cactus peyote. Now, this is not the same thing as sitting around smoking dope. This religious ritual requires you to eat a cactus, which is very, very painful and it is hallucinogenic. So they did their religious uh, ritual in the ceremony, and then they went to work that week, and they got random drug tested, and they failed the drug test because the peyote was in their system, so they got fired. And the state of Wisconsin has a law that says, if you are fired from your job because you did something wrong, right? If you're fired for just cause, you are not allowed to collect unemployment insurance. So if you're fired just because, you know, they don't have any more hours for you or, or they don't like your hair or something like that, that's nothing that you did wrong. So you can apply for unemployment insurance. But if you are fired because you did something wrong, you're not allowed to get unemployment insurance. So these guys were fired and the state said, you are fired for cause because you did these drugs. And so you don't get unemployment insurance. So these guys said, no, we were fired because of our religion. We were fired because we engaged in our religious practice. And so this law that does not give us an exemption and tells us that we cannot have uh, unemployment insurance, that law violates the Constitution. And all you have to do is apply the strict scrutiny test, which was made famous under the Wisconsin v. Yoder case. So all of us who are watching this are like, oh, this is, this is an easy case. They're going to apply strict scrutiny. They'll find a way. This is going to be fine. And then Scalia handed down his decision, and he led a majority of justices to his own way of thinking. And it just shocked everybody. It put the whole country, those of us nerds who care about this stuff, put us all into this tizzy because he vitiated the strict scrutiny test. He just tossed it out for cases like this. And he said, look, Strict scrutiny test, no. In a case like this, you have a neutral law of general applicability. It is a neutral law that everybody has to obey. It does not target religion. And belief and action are two different things. We will always protect belief. You can believe whatever you want. But action is a different thing. And if the government gets together, the state government, and through their legislature they pass a law that limits your ability to practice your religion in the way that you want to, but it's a neutral law of general applicability. Belief and action are different, and so we'll protect the belief, but we're not going to protect the action. We went from 1870s, belief and action are separate. 1970s, they are intertwined and belief compels, reaction, compels action, all the way back to the Reynolds case in the 1870s, through the eyes of Scalia, we get rid of the strict scrutiny test, and we just say it's a neutral law of general applicability. So it was shocking for those of us who are watching this. Now, this was 1990, it's fully 27 years ago. And many of us knew that there were these cases that were gonna be percolating through the lower courts that had to do with LGBT rights. And in fact, by 2007, the Baker case had started to come to fruition in Colorado. So the question is, what would Scalia do? What would the conservative justices do? You know they want to protect the religious people. Right? Scalia is on record many times as saying like, he's not really all that interested in protecting the LGBT community. But if you apply the Scalia rule of neutral law of general applicability, the states win. And the gay people are protected and the religious people are not. They don't get to practice their religion. So this is a terrible conundrum. It's a pickle for the conservative justices. Because the conservative justices all want to be like Scalia, but Scalia's approach is going to make them not protect the religious actors. In fact, from 2007 on, every single case that was handed handled by the lower courts, as this stuff went up to the Supreme Court, every single case applied Scalia's neutral general Neutral law of general applicability and found for the state and found against the religious actor. Every single case. And you can just, you know, all across the, uh, the nation, you can see these liberal judges in some states going, "Woo, good for Scalia. We are all for Scalia, the conservative judge, because Scalia leads us to allow the state law. We do not protect the religious speakers. We're going to protect the gay couples who want to be served by the uh, bakers and the florists and so forth. So now we're all saying, what is Scalia going to do? How is Scalia going to get out of this pickle? Because if Scalia goes along with what he said in 1990, we're going to keep the state laws. Now, sadly, for all kinds of reasons, but mostly for First Amendment jurisprudence reasons, Scalia died. He died before he gave us guidance on how this test should be analyzed. So now we've got these cases before the Supreme Court. We don't have guidance from Scalia. We have precedent from Scalia. And the justices are kind of stuck because what are they going to do? Are they going to go with belief and action are separate the way Scalia said? You know, lots of the conservative justices want to follow Scalia. Or are they going to say, no, 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 no. In this case, we're going to do strict scrutiny, just like Wisconsin v. Yoder, strict scrutiny, and that's the way we're going to handle this. So, what are they going to do? The justices have three different options for these cases. Three options. The first option is to go along with Scalia, say, no strict scrutiny, we're just going to do neutral law of general applicability. The states win. The state of Colorado wins, the state of Washington wins, and the gay people Uh, get served equally like everybody else. And the religious people, if you choose to be in a store, if you choose to have a store, you just have to treat everybody the same, even if it's against your religion. Too bad. That's one option. I do not think the court is gonna take that option. I think that the court is going to just kind of ignore what Scalia did in Smith and say, because this case involves art as well as religion, I think that we should do the strict scrutiny. So, second option, reject the Smith analysis and require the lower courts to apply strict scrutiny. I think this is what the court's going to do. So what does that mean? It means that come spring, we're not going to have an answer. Come spring... This case is going to go back to the lower courts, and they're going to have direction from the Supreme Court to say apply strict scrutiny, but they have to take all kinds of testimony to see what is the really, really, really important interest, and it, has there been the least restrictive alternative? They're going to—it's going to take fully a year or two for the lower courts to apply strict scrutiny, and they're going to apply it unevenly across the nation, and the whole thing's going to end up back in front of the Supreme Court about five years from now. That's the one I think is going to happen. We're not going to have an answer in the spring. It's going to go back down. The third option is the option that's probably good for the religious people and not good for the states or the gay couple, and that is if the court decides to apply strict scrutiny itself, taking no testimony on what is the really important interest of the state or what is the fit between the state law and the um, measures that the state has taken to achieve its interest. If they just decide that on their own, based on their own thinking, but what is what is a compelling interest, they're gonna get tremendously criticized for being activist. So I don't think any of the judges want to do that. I think that the left-leaning judges want to apply uh, Smith, and the very conservative judges want strict scrutiny applied, but they don't want to be criticized for being activist. And so I think the whole thing is going to go back down to the lower courts. If that happens, it's going to be really frustrating for a lot of people and very hurtful for a lot of people. Now, for somebody like me, I don't happen to be gay, and I don't happen to be a conservative evangelical Christian. I'm a committed Christian, but I am a Christian who believes very firmly and actively in justice for the LGBT community. And so, so for me... I can just go, wow, isn't this fascinating? What are the courts going to do? I just can't wait to see. But for a lot of people, a lot of people sitting right in this room, this is a very personal case. It's a very hurtful situation. For gay people, the possibility is that they're going to go shopping and be turned away from a store and not even, not even have any warning. And just get turned away, you know, in a haphazard manner from an individual store. And for conservative religious people, they're saying, look, we don't understand what's happening in our culture. All we want to do is practice our religion and make cakes for uh, people that we're in agreement with. Somebody else can make a cake for a gay couple, but I don't even think I could do a very good job with it, right? So for the court to, kick the ball down the road, and we have this all decided much later at a piece-by-piece manner in different states, that is not going to be a very satisfactory outcome, and somebody's going to lose, right? Somebody's going to lose. So there are a number of people that are saying, instead of having this all just be fought in the courts, where you're going to have a winner and a loser, and you can't really have any control because we don't know what the co- judges are going to do. Let's try to come up with a political compromise. If we can come up with a political compromise... Now, with a compromise, everybody's going to lose something, but everybody's going to gain something, too. So let's try to come up with a political compromise that makes everybody at least a little bit happy. Here are some options, they would say. And so I'm going to outline these options, and then I think during our conversation it would be interesting to hear you know, if you are... Uh, Uh, a member of a conservative religious tradition or member of the LGBT community and you have an opinion about these options, it would be very interesting for us to hear your perspective. Um, I don't know if any of these would work very well. I'm reporting them to you. Uh, The first one is, let the market take care of it. So... What these people say is, look, this is not like the 1950s, where black people were sitting at a cafeteria uh, counter and they were not getting served. The reason it's not like the 1950s is because the demographics have changed across the nation, and particularly with your generation, there is much more sympathy and empathy with the LGBT community. And, you know, if you let the market take care of it, people who are being excluded Exclusionary with their store practices, they're going to suffer, and a lot of them are just going to change their mind and open their services to everybody because that's going to be better for them economically. And a good example of this is the Arlene Flower Store in the Tri Cities. Arlene Baronel Stutzman, who owned the Arlene Flower Store, was hit with a two thousand dollar fine by the state of Washington. Now, $2,000 is nothing. And there were conservative Christians across the nation who all, all volunteered to pay it for her. So $2,000 is nothing. But she went out of business immediately because of market forces, because there were so many people that were so angry about her refusal to do flowers for this uh, same-sex couple Uh, she was no longer able to have her business. So these people say, look, be really aggressive in the market with the internet and Facebook and Snapchat, Pinterest, whatever all that is. You can really have an influence on your community. And so get engaged in the market. Again, I have the freedom of saying, oh, isn't that interesting? but it doesn't impact me. And, and so I want to be careful about saying, oh, that's a good option. You know, I'd, I'd like to hear from others. The next one, let's make, a, let's make a compromise that allows employment freedom so that Christian employers, whether they're nonprofits or for-profits, Christian employers can hire whomever they want. Right now, nonprofits can hire whomever they want according to their religious belief, but for-profits cannot. And so if we make a compromise and we say uh, conservative Christian businesses can uh, make a decision for themselves about who they want to hire, but, so they win on that side, but they have to serve everybody. So the gay couples win on the other side, right? Each side gets one area to win, and each side gets one area where they have to compromise. Maybe that would be a, a good deal, rather than having to just go to the courts and have a great big fight for the next five years. The third option, it was actually articulated by a guy who graduated from Whitworth some time ago, and he wrote this in a law review article, and it didn't get very much traction uh, at the time. It was written about nine years ago, but it's getting a lot of traction now because people are saying, well, maybe this would work because it combines market forces with another kind of compromise, and that is to keep the law like you have in Washington and you have in Colorado, but you make an exemption, a very narrow exemption for Christians who are engaged in wedding services, not all services, but just wedding services, because wedding services involve art. And you say to them, we are going to give you an exemption that's called Refuse and Refer. And under very limited circumstances, you are allowed to refuse certain weddings as long as you follow these circumstances. Uh, first of all, it has to be a personal service. A personal service where you personally bake the cake or you personally do the flowers. Not some worker, somebody else, or like with you know Dunkin' Donuts, the big bakery, they don't have a personal person developing the donuts. But if it's you personally doing it, and it's a small organization, and, uh, it, and you have open advertisement, you have an advertisement in the window that you are one of these businesses that does not uh, serve everybody equally, right? So there's no surprises. Everybody knows that there, and you open yourself to market forces being angry with you, and you refer within a certain distance, right? You say, look... I can't do your cake, I don't believe in same-sex marriage. I'm saying no, but Susie down the road is much more woke than I am. I know, I used that right, didn't I? <laughs> I've, I've, I was debating whether I, I had enough credibility to use that word, you think it's good, okay. So I'm going to send it down to Susie down the road, and Susie's going to make you a beautiful cake. Susie can do a great job for you. And so this exemption would work if, like, you could refer the person within 12 miles would be an example. And and now you might say to me, well, yeah, but how do you work out a compromise like that? Because you've got gay people all across the nation, and you've got religious conservatives all across the nation. Who says they're all going to agree? Well, the reality is there's really only a couple of interest groups that are fighting this to the Supreme Court. Baronel Stutzman and the guy who made the cake, they don't have the money to fight this all the way to the Supreme Court. They don't even really have the interest to do that. There's a a Christian conservative group called Alliance Defending Freedom on the one side that's litigating for conservative Christians. And then the ACLU and a couple of other law firms are litigating for the gay couples. And if you can get those two groups to compromise, then that would have a dramatic effect across the nation. I don't know, I don't know. You might be saying, well, I think all of those things are bad, but the alternative is not good. Because the alternative is, it's gonna go to the court, the court's gonna decide, there's gonna be a loser, there's gonna be more litigation, it's not gonna get solved, it's gonna be difficult. Okay, at least when you compromise, you might not be that happy with the output, but you've got some control over it. And it's very possible that within a generation it's going to be a non-issue, right? It's possible. So, those are the political compromises that are out there. And the last thing I want to say before we have conversation is what does all this mean for institutions that are faith-based nonprofits? are faith-based nonprofits going to be impacted by this case that goes before the court? Are they going to be told that they had to have to act in certain ways? Lots and lots of faith-based nonprofits including Christian universities are are sort of getting each other all riled up and scared about what's going to happen with this case. What's going to happen? Now, I would say I've studied this for a very long time and the jurisprudence that protects the first amendment jurisprudence that protects nonprofits goes back 200 years. It is very, very solid. So in the short term, I would say this case will have no impact, none, on faith-based nonprofits. But that is not true for the long term. And I I think things are going to change no matter what the court does in this case. And the reason I say that is because when you look at the issue of race, things changed over the course of many, many decades. And I'll give you an example, which is the Bob Jones University example, and then we'll throw it out for some discussion. So you know, since the Civil War, our country has been engaged in a lot of different sorts of efforts to uh, have uh, non-discrimination on the basis of race, right? Lots of it has been unsuccessful, but there's been efforts at a lot of different, a lot of different levels. And uh, Bob Jones University is a very conservative Christian university that has a rule that says we allow people of all races to come here, but you may not date across racial lines. So, and they say this applies to everybody equally. Whites can't date uh, African-Americans, Latinos, and African-Americans can't date whites or Latinos. You have to date within your race because of their understanding of scripture. It's funny to me, like I'm watching your faces, and some of you are just looking horrified. But, but for me, I lived, I lived through all of this. I can remember this. And so Bob Jones uh, said, "This is, this is our religion, right? And nobody has the right to be upset about it because everybody has to obey the rule." Well, there was a lot of discussion about how should we treat this Bob Jones? Like, should they be allowed to have this kind of a religious? Uh, action. And there was discussion about taking the right away from them using federal legislation. And what was decided is that they were just going to leave it alone. And, you know, we'd just see what happens with Bob Jones. But the IRS did not take that approach. The IRS said, look, there are groups that get huge, huge tax exemptions. And Christian University is They get tax exemptions. And if you have a university that is perpetuating this kind of discrimination and discriminatory understanding of the races, that is harmful in society. So we get that they're allowed to have that rule, but we're taking their uh, tax exemptions away if that's the way they're going to approach it. It's the IRS. So it was going to cost Bob Jones a lot of money. So Bob Jones brought a lawsuit, goes all the way up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said... Yeah, it's a compelling interest, dealing with racial discrimination, because we've been working on it for a hundred years. We've been working on it for a hundred years, and we're not making very good progress. And so, in a situation like this, you've got a compelling interest, which is to get rid of racial racial discrimination, and you've got, a you know, a a good fit between the action, which is to take away the tax exemption, and the goal, which is to get rid of racial discrimination. And so, Bob Jones, if you want to have this rule, fine, but you're going to lose your tax exemption. Goes up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court says, because of the strict scrutiny test, uh, we say that this law fails, this law passes the strict scrutiny test, and so Bob Jones lost its tax exemption. How long do you think it took Bob Jones? to change its mind and say the races can date each other, right? Within a decade. Within a decade, that had changed, which shows you the power of the law. Now, lots of you are in my classes, and sometimes we talk about whether or not the law is really all that powerful to change the way people think. But this case always uh, always brings me up short because it is an example of how the law can change people's minds. And so it is my prediction that, like, when I'm dead and gone, you know, 40 years from now, 25, 40, 50 years from now, I think, yeah. Uh, it, it's, the courts are going to approach LGBT in the same way that they're approaching race right now. And I think it's perfectly predictable that the courts are going to say to institutions like Whitworth, if there's any way in which you're discriminating against people on the basis of their sexual orientation, we're going to take your tax exemption away. But that is it decades and decades in the future. So there's lots of time to enter into compromise, to try to figure out how to deal with the different sorts of interests. Uh, with the race case, it took 100 years. And so the LGBT movement really started maybe 40 years ago. So I, I think it's a, a long time in the future, but I do think it's going to come. Okay? All right. So, questions. Do you... Do you yeah. Yeah. So are there questions? Yes, real loud. I'll
0: do this one. So at the beginning of the lecture, you um, said that businesses can discriminate on the basis of political belief. So if either the florist or the baker had discriminated because um, these homosexual couples presumably um, believed in yeah, we're Democrats, would that be a legitimate form
1: of discrimination? Well, they would, not have been, they would not have run afoul of the state law, right? They would not have run afoul of the state law. But I do have to tell you that, I mean, right now we don't see state laws like our public accommodation law that cover political interests, but we are seeing uh, laws in other states and in cities that are saying you cannot be fired for your political perspective, which was an issue that came up with Google you remember Google uh, just a couple of weeks ago? It had this guy who put out this manifesto about you know getting uh, about how we shouldn't have all this. What? I'm forgetting that we shouldn't have all this, you know, racial sensitivity and gender sensitivity and all this, you know, action to diversity action because, you know, women weren't going into tech for natural things. And people got really, really mad at him and he got fired. So there was all this discussion in the legal community. Is it okay to fire somebody on the basis of their political beliefs? Because that's a, you know, political, cultural belief. And there are some states and some cities that are experimenting with laws Some cities have them that say you cannot fire people on the basis of political belief. So there's experimentation about that. But we have not seen it in the public accommodation field yet. Now, if this really is interesting to you and you want to lobby for something like that and you want to protect people on the basis of their political view, you can have an addendum. You can lobby for an addendum to the state non-discrimination law. That's how sexual orientation got added to the one in Washington. Does that answer your question? Other question, Way up there.
0: Up there. So just to kind of give an example before the question. Um, Let's say Taylor and Sam are getting married. Taylor goes to the baker alone, asks really, really nicely, hey, I want this cake made for a wedding I'm having in X days or whatever. they agree on a price, the cake gets made, day of delivery, can the baker, or I guess that's what is being argued in the case, but um, can the baker turn around and say no, no, no um, as soon as they see that Samantha and Taylor are getting married?
1: Yeah, so it's an interesting question. It's one of the reasons why I love being a lawyer because like, you get all these hypotheticals and they're so fascinating. In a case like that, you've got contract law. Once they make a contract, the contract law supersedes. Uh, so, if they have a contract, I would say no, they can't get out of it at that point because they made the contract and it, and it's been paid for, and they they get the cake. But you know, if it's before the cake is made, then and there's no damages, then then maybe.
2: Yeah, just an observation and a, hopefully a comment from you. Um, you were speaking of Bob Jones University and the leverage of the IRS in being able to bring about a change. We now know that the IRS is weakened. We now know that they are not even in a position to enforce the rules regarding what happens in tax exemptions and churches, let alone universities and colleges that are religiously affiliated. So I wouldn't want to count with you on the IRS 20 years from now to be the leveraging factor in bringing some equality That would be my first sort of observation. A question I have is, and this may be absolutely unrelated, did the change from just using the expression freedom of religion change the circumstances or the perspectives when it went to religious freedom? which is now being used, yeah. I don't hear freedom of religion.
1: Yeah, I, I hear. I, I, I'm going to say no, because, because when people talk about religious freedom, they are usually, they don't know very much about the Constitution. And I think that it used to be that people understood the Constitution and the cases more fully, and so they used phrases differently. So, so I don't see that. On your first point, though, I mean, you're making an assumption about what I think should happen, and, and, and I want to clarify what I think should happen, right? I, I am really not in favor of governments using the IRS to twist people's perspectives, I am very much on the side of the LGBT community in this situation, but I also understand the point about art by conservative Christians, and I think a political compromise is going to achieve more faster than relying on the IRS or using the law as a tool either way. I mean, I do think leaving this in the hands of the Supreme Court is not It is not going to bring solution for either group in a way that's going to make either group feel good about it. I think that leaving it in the hands of the Supreme Court is just, you know, it's, it's going to bring a lot of hurt for a lot of years. All right, we're going to take one more question because our con law class, we're in the middle of our con law class, and we have to beat it back upstairs to finish our class. Yes, sir.
0: Um, I have kind of a connection that might kind of lead into a question, but I think that what the gentleman up there had to say um, kind of plays interestingly with the concept of art and expression. Um, In his scenario, it seems as if the baker um, was making the cake as if it was for a straight couple. Um, There was no way, based on the art, based on how they were making the cake, that you would have known whether it was a straight couple or a gay couple, so in that situation, um, I'm not really sure if, at least in my opinion, if the art that's being produced is specifically, I, I maybe maybe the intention behind it mm-hmm. being made for a gay couple. Um, do you kind of get what I'm what I'm I, kind of I leading do. towards? I do, and let I'm me not sure how to let me
1: build on that a little bit because because what commentators are saying is that. If you're going to say baking a cake is expressive and it's art, you have to ask yourself what is being expressed. And and if you go to a wedding and you ask yourself who made the cake, are you making an assumption that the cake baker has the same political, theological view of marriage? No, of course not. This the expression is the is an expression by the couple, right? They're the ones who are coming into the bakery with their folders. Now I didn't have this kind of a wedding like I didn't have the, so, I have no idea what it's really like, but I've seen pictures of people coming in with their folders that they've been working on for years about what the cake should look like, and I want these flowers, and you know, that's the expression of the couple. It is not the expression of the baker. And that's an issue that's gonna be argued right to the judges. And I think that that's gonna be very powerful for some of the judges to lead them to say, look, it may be art, it may be expressive but it's not really expressive it's not so expressive that it that it pales in comparison to our concern about discrimination because what happens if they decide that a baker gets to say i'm not serving you because you're gay what's the very next thing that's going to happen you're going to see the theater owner saying you we're we're not letting you in and you know if if you're going to hold hands and then you're going to say We're not letting you in because you're a black man married to a white woman. And we're with Bob Jones with not having cross-racial marriages, right? You're going to see, I hate using this phrase, but it's a legal phrase. You're going to see a slippery slope like we have not seen in a very long time. And I think all the judges know that that's true. So they're going to look for a way to handle this down the road after this generation has grown up and more and gotten more power and passed more laws and persuaded people in different ways. Okay? Okay, Thank you. Happy Constitution Day, everybody. In class, I'll see you upstairs.